following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Uh, well, I would say welcome back uh, to those of you who were here last week and you decided to give it another try. I'm grateful. Um, that uh, last week uh, message was a little taxing. Roast, burnt in the oven. We're here a little bit longer than normal, but uh, um, ironically, compared to last week when we read the whole letter of First Timothy, uh, we're not going to make it past the greeting, the salutation this morning. So. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and that's page 991 in the Pew Bibles, uh, so you can turn there with me. I'll give you a second, because I know if you're still looking, I'll read it and you'll be done before you get there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, page 991. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, um, I've been still looking forward to look at First Timothy um, what the wonderful instructions that you have, but the personal tone that it has as well. Um, Lord, we ask now that as we look to your word, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would soften our hearts, and that you'd open our ears and our eyes to see you at work, to hear from you, and have soft hearts to receive the message, the correction, the encouragement, whatever you have for us this morning. May we not miss it. For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, don't you think there's an awful lot to talk about there? No. Well... That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Four people and a prayer. That's what I see in those short verses. Four people and a prayer. And there's a lot said about those four people, uh, believe it or not. And what is said about those people and what is in that prayer, I think, has the potential to shift the way we think and the way we act. Well, who are the four people? Paul, Timothy, Jesus, and the Father. Good. So, very good Sunday school answers. Thank you for not guessing Moses or Jerusalem. <laughs> Paul, the Father, Jesus, and Timothy. And I'd like to look at them one at a time, not just to belabor who they are, as if you've never been introduced to them before, but to examine what is said about them here and what the implications might be if we were to grab on to some of those things. 
So the first one is Paul. Uh, now remember, uh, this is a letter to Timothy. This isn't Paul's, uh, like he goes to a publisher, so I want to write a book, and I'm going to call it Timothy. First Timothy, because there's a sequel. And I'm just still working on that. This is a letter to a friend, to Timothy, his close companion. Now we talked about last week about how Timothy traveled all over the Roman Empire with Paul. He was not a stranger. He knew who he was. So why does Paul make this kind of formal pronouncement? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God. Timothy's like, yeah, I get it. I know who you are. He could have just said, hey, it's me. And that was funny. Maybe, this, yeah, this is not to be confused with Paul the butcher. This is Paul the apostle. Maybe. I don't know. Thank you for saving that awkward moment, Joe. <clears throat> so this greeting that Paul gives to Timothy here, it, it goes beyond just, well, he wrote it this way because that's how they wrote letters in that time, right? This, this goes, I think, beyond following the standard convention. Uh, it's not just, dear Timothy, how are you? I'm fine, right? That's how we start letters, isn't it? Okay, I'm glad to see you. I'm not alone. I'm fine. How are you? Timothy knew, <laughs> I'm less than fine. Keep praying. Right. Timothy knew who Paul was. It's not a mystery. He knew about his calling. He knew about his work as an apostle. So why does he include all of this other information? And I believe that it's because this title, giving his title, gave authority to Paul's words. He's not just writing a letter to see how his friend is doing, you know, keep him up to date on the local gossip and that sort of thing. These are instructions, not just suggestions for his friend. They were commands for Timothy, and they were commands to anyone else who would read these words and follow in Timothy's footsteps, and thus in Paul's footsteps. Being an apostle is a peculiar work, uh, not that it's strange, but it's unique to only a few this not you can't apply for the job as an apostle. Um, you can't find that. Uh, everything that I'm trying to say that's funny is really not going well. Um, we're laughing on the inside. That's more laughing at you than with you. Hang on just a minute. Laugh now, Laugh. applaud. Yeah, uh, this. Yeah, this is really going badly. Hold on. This is only my second cup of coffee. Okay, so being a puzzle, we'll just take it seriously. No more jokes. You want to be serious? That's how we'll play it. Being a puzzle is a. Hey. <laughs> okay, being an apostle. It's a peculiar work, and it's given to only a few, a few men. The word apostle means one who is sent. It's a Greek word, one who is sent. But more specifically, in Paul's case, and with the twelve apostles, they were sent out specifically and personally by the risen Christ. This is not just anyone 
who was a leader in the church or a missionary or church planter, this is a, um, these are men who were given a particular mission by the Lord Jesus in his resurrected form and were given particular authority over the church. They were representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. So what they had to say was very important. Now, there are others that are referred to as apostles in the book of Acts. And they were also sent, sent out to preach the gospel and to plant churches. But they didn't hold the same office as uh, Paul and the original 12 apostles. They didn't have the same authority. So the way that helps me look at it, and maybe will help you, is that there's apostles with a capital A and apostles with a lowercase a. Uh, Paul, um, Peter, John, James, these are apostles capital A, right? And then there are others with a small a. So when Paul used his title, Paul, a capital A, apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and Jesus Christ, our hope, he is calling on the authority that has been given to him as an apostle to give credence, not only to the instructions that would follow, but it's also an endorsement of Timothy as a leader in the church, uh, his true child in the faith. That's an important phrase. So the first person is Paul. Paul the apostle, the apostle of Christ Jesus. And the next person mentioned is God. Well, it's good because he wrote the book, really. Um, oh, I said I wasn't going to do that. Um, what title was given to God? Savior. Our Savior. Hmm. What sound? Uh, what? God, our Savior? I thought it, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus, got, let's get into Trinity, right? We'll talk about it a little bit. But the title, God, our Savior, is more, sound a little Old Testament. Um, in fact, 24 times, in the at least in the New International Version, um, refers to God as Savior in the Old Testament. Our Savior, my Savior, their Savior. It's all God, our Savior. But do we often think of God this way? Most of the time, we limit this title to Jesus, don't we? Jesus is our Savior, right? How often do we think of the Father as our Savior? Do you ever do that? Eh, well, isn't it Jesus who does the same? Like, I'm talking about angels dancing on the head of a pin. How many have we got so far? I know this is kind of fun, but I think it's important. In John 3.16, we are told that it is good who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever would believe in him should not perish but would have everlasting life. It was God the Father who sent God the Son to die in our place. It was God the Father's love for us, a lost and rebellious people, that motivated him to provide the only sacrifice that would satisfy his justice, that would satisfy his wrath. It was only God the Father who could do that to work for us. He is the source of our salvation. Far too often we forget the Father. Maybe it's just me. 
But we forget the Father and focus on His Son. But we must not separate them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. They are distinct, yet three in one. When people lose sight of the others in favor of one, they can easily wander away from the truth. We cannot forget that God is triune God. Some groups have their entire focus on the work of the Spirit, and they neglect the Father, and they neglect the Son, and only focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. Some groups never talk about Jesus. They talk about God is love, and God's love, and we should be loving like God is loving. But they don't talk about Jesus and his work. As some groups focus on the work of the Father and the Son, but neglect the work of the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? Well, well you don't want, you know, let's just talk about faith in Jesus and, and sin forgiven and not talk about the work of the Spirit. But we can't do that. God is not a one-faceted God. He is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are together. And salvation is only found in the triune God. Not just one piece. God the Father is the source of our salvation. God the Son, Jesus the Christ, is the means of our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit empowers the faith to receive that salvation. We cannot lose sight of the Trinity. So we have Paul, an apostle, capital A, God our Savior, and who's next? Christ Jesus, our hope. I'm glad that Paul put it that way. Christ Jesus, our hope. It's a subtle reminder, I think, that Jesus' last name was not Christ. In case you were wondering, it was Bar-Joseph. You didn't care about that. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. The Greek word Christ, Christos, is the same as the Hebrew word Messiah. I won't try to pronounce it in Hebrew. It's a mess. Actually, it kind of sounds like that. It, it, mean, it means anointed one. Anointed one. Both Christ and Messiah, same, same word, means anointed one. And there's several places in the Old Testament where this term is used, looking forward to Jesus, looking forward to his person and his work, specifically in Psalms. And you can read Daniel chapter 9. You read about the anointed one there if you're interested. Uh, there's some other places there as well. Uh, but the title of Christ is not really the title I want to look at. I think that's familiar enough to us for now. But the term, our hope, is the phrase that sticks out to me. Now, what is hope? I'll tell you what it isn't. Hope is not a wish. We confuse these two things in our crazy English vernacular that makes no sense at all. Let's see if this sounds familiar. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope that my check comes in the mail. I hope I get that job I applied for of apostle. 
There. Oh, okay, thank you. All right. That's not a hope. That's a wish. You can't, couldn't you just substitute the word? I wish it wouldn't rain today. I wish I would my, get my check. I wish I would get that job. It means the same thing, right? But that's not what the word hope is. Hope is more concrete. Hope is a confident expectation. You can't use it of the weather. You will be disappointed because there's nothing concrete. The sun will come up every day. You can have confident expectation of that. And that's it, especially here in New England. Hope is a confident expectation. Is a great deal more to do with trust than a wish does. A wish is just something you want to happen. But hope is something you trust is going to happen. Now, how, who on earth can we put that kind of confidence in? I hope you don't put it in me, because I certainly don't put it in you. It's only in Jesus that we can have that confident expectation. Well, expect what? We can have confident expectation that his work on the cross is enough to purchase our salvation. We can have uh, faith in him that our sins are forgiven. That he is preparing a place for us and will come back again to get us. And that we will be with him where he is for eternity. That's our hope. That's how we hope in Jesus. Because he said he's going to do that and he will. Because he keeps his promises. We can have confident expectations uh, confident expectation that Jesus will serve as the mediator between us and the Father. Now, if you don't know about this, it's a good thing to understand because it's very important because without Jesus standing between us and God the Father, we all burn to a crisp. So it's important. We'll talk about it later in 1 Timothy chapter 2, but it's also mentioned in Hebrews 9.15 and also Hebrews 12:24 says that he stands in the gap between a sinful people and a righteous and holy God. So when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us as we stand here. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus in our place. If you can say amen and hallelujah to that, you don't you're not listening closely enough. Hmm. He sees Christ's righteousness imparted to us, standing in our place. So because Christ is our hope, we have hope beyond this life. That whatever happens to us, even if it's so bad we die, if it costs us our life, there is something better waiting for us in God's eternal kingdom because we have faith in Jesus. We want to wish that this life would be easy and good and we'd be well taken care of and money in the bank and a nice car in the yard, right? Those are just wishes and they are not promised to us. We don't have any promise of life that's easy. We're promised life of trouble. But Jesus says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. Now we can have confident expectation that he will deliver us in the long run, and he will walk with us through the difficulty we face now. Christ is our hope not only because our past sins are forgiven, but by faith in him we are saved from the wrath to come. 
If you ever read the book of Revelation, there's some scary stuff on the way. Bowls of wrath being poured out on mankind to try and get them to repent. So I recommend repenting before that happens. Um, you'll be better off. Christ is our hope so that no matter what happens to us in this life, whether we perceive it as good or bad, it is done for God's glory and our good. And it is all according to the unwavering plan of Almighty God. What a wonderful hope we have in Christ. There's hope in no one else. If you have hope in someone or something else, you are going to be disappointed because no one else can come through. But Jesus can. So, we have Paul, the Apostle, God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, our hope, and finally, old Timmy. Timothy, Paul's true child in the faith. Now, this young man I've always identified with, but I'm starting to get old, so I'm not sure it's applying anymore. Timothy is a young man. Thank you for not laughing too hard at that. Um, Timothy, a young man, uh, and had a special place in Paul's heart. He had served Paul as a son would serve his father, and he's following in Paul's footsteps. And calling on Paul's apostolic authority and referring to Timothy as his true child bestowed a certain authority on Timothy to act as Paul would act for people and for people to view him with the same respect and authority as they would Paul, as if Paul himself was standing there. Now, strictly speaking, God and God alone is Paul's uh, is Timothy's spiritual father. Jesus said to call no man father. Well, that's true. It, mm, but Paul, who was God's minister in raising Timothy in the faith and as a man, felt the same uh, father and son filial connection with Timothy that a father does with his own child. So that's why he calls him this. As we talked about last week, this young disciple, Timothy, accompanied Paul all over the Roman Empire, carrying the gospel to the far reaches. But now he's stationed for a short time in Ephesus to work with the church there in that city. And we'll look closely at the work that he was given to do in the weeks to come. For now... We close with the prayer that Paul uh, prays for Timothy at the close of his greeting. I said, four people in a prayer. So Paul, God our Savior, Christ Jesus our hope, and Timothy, Paul's son in the faith. And here's what Paul prays for Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now, in our study this week, I noticed that some commentators just say, here's Paul's standard greeting. Let's go on to the next thing. How can he do that? Look at this. We can't cast this off as just, well, he's throwing words away. There's so much more. J.P. Lang said in his commentary, in its harmony, 
This ravishing threefold cord expresses all the spiritual gifts which the Christian should ask for himself and his brethren. Grace, the highest good for the guilty. Mercy, the highest good for the suffering. Peace, the highest good for the struggling. When it comes to the heart of any disciple, but especially on those who are called to minister to others, these three gifts are of utmost importance. See, the grace of God not only withholds judgment on our sin, but when we pray this for others, we're asked for the grace of God to withhold judgment for their own sin and the grace from God to not pass judgment on the sins of others. The mercy of God to receive continuous kindness and forgiveness for themselves and mercy from God to exercise kindness and forgiveness of others in the midst of suffering. The peace of God for the tranquility of a restored relationship with him and peace from God to understand that he is in control and he is at work even amongst, amidst the most trying struggle. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could you pray a higher prayer? And that's my prayer for you this morning. That by God's grace you would receive forgiveness for yourself and exercise forgiveness of others. By God's mercy you would receive God's kindness and compassion, and you would exercise kindness and compassion to those who are suffering. And by God's peace, that you would enjoy the tranquility that comes from a restored relationship with your Heavenly Father through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that His peace would be at work in you, restoring your relationships with others as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, how could I pray a higher prayer for your people than to ask for your grace and mercy and peace that only comes from you? I pray, Lord, that we would not only experience that grace and mercy and peace for ourselves, but that we would exercise it, that we would be gracious to others, that we would have mercy on others, and that we would have peace with others. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of salvation. We thank you for your mercy. That in your mercy, you don't give us what we do deserve. You don't destroy us on the spot. But you give us time. You give us time to know Jesus and experience your forgiveness. May we express that same compassion and be kind to others. And we thank you, Lord, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with you, which is the most important peace of all. And by the work of your Holy Spirit, we can have peace with our, with our fellow men. I pray that we would be people of grace and mercy and peace. 
We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.